Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us Jeff Grinnell, and we'll have a conversation about love, sexuality, and youth. And you're probably guessing, if you have kids in the car, or you're listening to this in the kitchen, or you're listening to somewhere else, this is this is probably not a podcast. Um, I would say it's not a podcast for young listeners, um, at least to the point that as you as a parent would listen to it, and then decide if you want to have these conversations with your children. So just a, a word up front that we... it's. Yeah, we have a great conversation, Jeff and I. There'll be things that you'll agree with. There might be some things in here you disagree with. Um, but I think as we uh, grow and we learn, we have to grow in our comfortability of, of having conversations and learning. And uh, Jeff challenges us to uh, grow in our grace and our truth. I think sometimes in the church, we've been really big on truth, um, but not so strong in grace. And um, and I'm not saying to get away, do away with the truth, um, but walking in that tension, uh, as Jesus did, uh, of speaking truth and speaking and walking in grace. And Jeff challenges us to that. He talks about there's no different tiers of sin, meaning that there's not levels of sin, um, but we're all in the same place at the foot of the cross, and we're all thankful for the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts and our lives. So this is a challenging conversation that Jeff and I have, um, his love and compassion for people, um, specifically for the youth. Um, this is conversations I think sometimes we shy away from because we don't want to... Uh, examine where we really, where our hearts are and where we believe on certain issues. Um, and Jeff had the courage and has the courage to talk about it. He has the courage to to challenge us, to examine where our hearts are at and uh, our love for people. And so I, I really appreciate Jeff being on the podcast. And uh, once again, if you have kids in the room um, you or you're in the car or wherever, you're going to want to listen to this podcast first before they listen in so that you will know um, whether you want to have these conversations with them. Um, at least that's what I would want to do as a parent. So, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend, Jeff Grinnell. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you, Aaron. I've been looking forward to this for days. Jeff, uh, my wife and my two kids, Josiah and Isabel, they were they listened into a webinar you did for TCKs. And um, after that, they all said, hey, you need to interview him for the podcast. And so I appreciate your willingness. I bought the book, read the book because I wasn't on the web uh, on the webinar. But I'm so excited about learning from you today. So thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, this is uh, people that know me well know that I love our Pastor kids, our missionary kids, third culture kids, right? Uh, this is this is special. This is something that um, is a has been a passion of mine for a long time. Sure, Jeff. For those who don't uh, weren't a part of that webinar and haven't heard you about about you like I have and read your book, could you just share a little bit about yourself before we jump into some of the questions? Yeah, sure. Um, I started an organization called Youthology. Uh, several years ago, to do uh, coaching, resourcing, education, training for youth leaders. Uh, this is my 38th year in youth ministry. I'm a lifer in this. Wow. And, yeah, right. I, I get that wow a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just something that longevity in youth ministry to me is critical. Hmm. And so uh, I've been in the local church as a youth pastor for 19 years. Yeah. And then 
for uh, about five years, uh, planted a youth church, a university church, uh, lead pastor slash, you know, next gen guy. And then the last 17 years now has been education. And so I teach at a university at at University of Minneapolis, North Central University. Okay. And uh, we have just started building an institute for next gen. Hmm. And uh, creating a culture and a youth center here in Minneapolis to train global uh, next gen leaders. So that's the that you know I'm probably going to lay it down doing that. That's I'm really excited about this stage of my life. My wife and I um, have been married uh, 18 months, so she is thick in the um, in in the ministry with me. She she has a major passion for this too. Yeah. So, um, we are, we're, we're experiencing kind of like a, a start over, like a redo, not just with the marriage, yeah. you know, but with a whole new vision and, yeah. um, like w- legacy, you know, it's that I, I don't believe in legends in the kingdom. That's like <laughs> David and Goliath and, you know, Moses and Noah and, uh, Esther, that's a legend, Yeah. but we do leave a legacy And so I feel like that's what we're doing right now. That's awesome. Jeff, for those who are listening in and the the idea of next gen, um, when you what what does that encompass? Is that from a certain age range? Is that a mentality next gen? Um, Yeah. Would you just put some kind of just help us understand that? Yeah. You know, we used to call it youth ministry and then, you know, uh, uh, maybe children's before that and then young adults. Okay. So what we've done, really, I think in the last, I'm just going to say five years, if you Google that, you, you'll see next-gen plumbing, you'll see next-gen <laughs> chiro- chiropractor, right? <laughs> but the growing, the, the, the growing searches on the, um, on the SEOs is ministry, next-gen ministry. Okay. So what we do is we basically have included, you know, zero to 25 in my mind is next-gen. So it might be, you know... Uh, elementary, middle school, high school, uh, college. Um, I think it probably start right now that probably the the biggest emphasis would be alpha gen, which would be the elementary. Okay. That's the, you know, the new gen coming up. Uh, And then you would have gen Z. I would not put the millennials in, in next gen ministry now. Okay. They would be, uh, you know, 24, 25, yeah. Uh, Gen Z basically is college or just graduating out of college. So okay. most of us in this field would put them in the Alpha Gen and the Gen Z. That's good. Good. Well, I thought uh, somebody would send in a question and ask me why I didn't ask you that. So I thought I'd just go ahead and prevent the, the emails from coming in on why I didn't ask. So <laughs> Right. So today we're talking about um, your book, Gen Sexy. Um, great title. Um, it's, uh, yeah, a great title. So love, sexuality, and youth. Um, yeah, can you just share about your your passion to speak into this space? I think one of the struggles we had in writing a book on the sexual revolution was the title. <laughs> and uh, so we landed on that. People ask me all the time, man, is this Gen Sex Y Z? Yeah. Is it Gen Sexy Z? Is it Gen Sexy? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, whatever you want. You bought it. <laughs> so it's like, honestly, I think it's brought a lot of um a lot of fun to it. Maybe sure. uh, you know, 
people when people wrestle with it. But the concept is playing off the X, Y, and the Z. Yeah. So Generation X, which would be my generation, Generation Y, which is the millennials. Some people don't realize that, uh, that they're actually called the Y generation. And then uh, Gen Z. So it kind of fit really well with the title as we wrestled yeah, with it. For sure. um, Gen Sex, Y, Z, Sexy. So the idea was to look at the sexual revolutions that have taken place over the um, over the last, you know, three main generations. Yeah. I mean, you could go back to uh, the grand grandparents too, and you know, move into uh, you know the builders or the silent generation, and they had their own, right? Yeah. But when you look at just more recently, you know, I didn't want the book to be too long and too confusing. We do bring up the silent generation a little bit with the statistics, but um, so that's kind of how we came out of it. And the the whole thesis behind the book is to um, educate uh, youth leaders, parents, and teenagers. It really was written toward the slant of a teenager. Uh, Some of the concepts people might think, man, our teens going to understand that, but I, I, I don't hear that at all. Uh, Teenagers can handle a lot more than we think. So the concept really is kind of, it's a bit of a manual in some senses, you know, there are some things in, in there that, that are, that are like plug and play. You could read a chapter and not have to read the entire book. So there's standalone chapters on certain topics. Um, At the very end, there is a chapter on uh, tough questions. Yeah. So uh, that's 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 why we wrote it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm 46 years old. Hard to believe. But there just seems to be an acceleration of how sexuality is seen, how it's experienced, uh, how it's viewed. Um I obviously dating myself, but it just seems like the lens maybe of sexuality that maybe when I was younger, sexuality wasn't a lens that people were looking through. Is that is that inaccurate? Am I just saying sharing how old I am? And yeah, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think you're I think you're right, because the communication age really accelerated this change. Mm-hmm. You know, uh 25 years ago, censorship was much stronger. <laughs> uh, 35 years ago, right? The, I mean, we've watched what I did in, in uh, I think it's chapter five. We took a look at, um, or maybe it's chapter six. You could maybe check that, Aaron, for the listeners. Sure. I took a look at the waves, the social waves that we kind of went through. And um, I mean, we saw things like... Um, the sexual revolution that started with a, a much more conservative censorship in the media. And now it's so progressive, like mm-hmm. how, how let's push the envelope. Let's change the rules. Let's see how far we can go and take the find. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody worries about losing their license anymore, man, because it's yeah. like we have a license to do whatever we want. Right. For sure. <laughs> so, I would say the kind of things that I've seen, I'm just going to say 25 years because yeah. it's, it's, it's been 35, you know, late nineties, even where we saw a lot of the language change. And, but in the past, let's just say, you know, 25 years, we saw not, not only, not only the government redefining marriage, 
um, not only a progressive education system or an out of control media. Yeah. uh, We began to see families kind of fall in line with that cultural sensitivity. Yeah. And lose their scriptural standards. Sure. Right. So you have this wrestle between culture and scripture. Yeah. And the less the family is in scripture and and the more they're in, in culture, yeah. then we begin to lose the thing that sets us apart as a family. Now, put on top of that, the church hmm. and Christianity and our faith. Hmm. We did not pass the faith on, you know, to the last generation. Yeah. You know, the statistics are crazy, Aaron. Hmm. Just real quick. From the grandparents down to Gen Z, the biblical worldview dropped from 65% to 4%. Oh, my land. In three generations. Wow. So, really, it's just, it, it's insane how drastic that change took place. So, mm-hmm. now we have a whole generation of teenagers who do not look at this topic, all the other topics, right? Everything else that's going on in the world also. But they they do not look at this topic, sexuality, from a biblical perspective. Wow. Wow. And that's a great the idea you talk about it, the idea of having a theology of sexuality. And right. so how what does that look like today? Um, and is it changing? Does that theology change with the times and the as the culture changes? Yeah, just what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's chapter two, man. I I really wrestled with that chapter because I didn't want, and I think anybody that reads the book will see this. I did not want this to be a judgment against yeah. this certain lifestyle that, that I read about in the book. And I, I, I defend like people that know me know how vigorous I, you know, I, I defend LG plus crowd. Hmm. Um, I do not label the LG plus crowd any differently um, when it comes to their behaviors or their attitudes, their actions, right? Yeah. Uh, sins that we have sure. any different than those who gossip, the gay and the gossip. I put them in the same category. Sure. The glutton and the gay and the gossip we put in the same category. There right. are no tiers or levels of sin at the cross. Hmm. The ground is level. Yeah. And, but unfortunately, you know, we have, you, you also, you have to walk in truth and grace. Yeah. And sometimes the church has not done a really good job of, you know, walking in truth and grace. They've walked in truth. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, judgment, criticism, um, but they've not walked in grace very well. So mm-hmm. any anyone, you know, uh, here's a great example of this. I was reading some of the reviews of the book on Amazon, and obviously it was a very progressive, I'm sure, uh, um, a gay activist got on and just ripped the book. Like yeah. this is this is just hate speech and whatever. And uh, another, somebody else followed up on that and said, "Listen, you didn't read the book. <laughs> this is not hate speech." As a matter of fact, I I got more uh, disagreement from people in the church than mm. I did from the LG Plus crowd. Mm. When when they when you really look at this book, you know yeah. it it really I think was handled. Uh, as gracefully as um, be, because I have in, a lot of investment in this. Yeah. Um, my younger brother is gay. Okay, I have 
a, a lot of um, friends in the LG Plus community. Uh, this morning, I'm on the elevator. Uh, I'm sorry, last night, I'm on the elevator uh, in my uh, apartment complex where I live, and two lesbians walk on the, and, and we just start up conversation. Sure. You know, there's no ick or ooh right. or whatever about this. So to me, I don't want to win an argument and lose a friendship. Hmm. So the idea of that theology, building that theology was really, really important. And uh, boy, we could take the time. Um, I don't know if we want to follow up on that, yeah, but go ahead, go ahead. In, in chapter two is a theology uh, of sex and all of the texts, all of the Greek words, laying it out in common language. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good word. And as you said, you you handle in the book, it's handled with dignity. And um, that's I think that's one thing that the the Holy Spirit's really been challenging me is that, that we're all created in the image of Christ and that there's dignity in each of us. And um, it's something that I've been growing and learning about. And so, yeah, I really, really, really appreciated your your insight and your wisdom. So. For teenagers, you talked about the next gen, the next gen. Um, this 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 area of sexuality seems to be changing, changing rapidly. What you talk about a win for a teenager. What's a win for a teenager when it comes to sexuality and the generation they're living in? Yeah. So to define a win probably depends on whether you're a parent, you know, a uh, pastor. <laughs> Uh, that's good. You're a teenager. All right. No, that's <laughs> like good. Some teenagers, Aaron, would be like, man, I win if um, I don't go too far in my dating relationship. Right. Parents would be like, man, I win if um, my kids get married and they're virgins or, okay. you know, or I I win if, uh, if whatever, right? You, you label sure. that this is the win. Yeah. To me, it would be to understand the truth about this topic hmm. that if I have failed, hmm. then there's grace. Sure. That this is no, I am not, I don't have a scarlet letter. Yeah. Right. On me. Um, you know, for maybe our listeners who don't understand what that means, there is this, um, there's a book that was written, a movie follow-up. It is a whole concept of if somebody has committed a sexual sin there, this scarlet or, or it's been, or they've been violated, right. Sure. Then a scarlet letter is written upon them and everybody sees them as, you know, uh, as a leper. It's the mm. leprosy of the, of the sexual revolution or that kind of thing, man. Can you imagine mm. if we did that with all, with every sin, not just this one, <laughs> you know, and, and it's true. Think about this. Um, the Romans did this, you know, the certificate of debt that Paul talks about nailed to the cross. You know how we say we, and we use that illustration. We nail our sin to the cross. Well, the Romans did that, but they didn't nail it to the cross. The Romans nailed it to your doorpost. Hmm. So they would write up these certificates of debt that included the kind of sins that you did. Hmm. Right. And they would post those to your door. So anybody walking by your home in the first century, saw that you were a liar or you were right some kind of sexual sin or you murdered or you were adulterer, whatever it was um you know uh standing against the government you know those kind of things and you couldn't get you couldn't get past that until Christ went to the cross and took that certificate of debt 
and nailed it to the cross, the, right? Not the doorpost. Sure. And so I think to me, the win for a teenager is that they would re- recognize that um, Jesus loves them, that uh, he has enough grace and mercy for their situation, but he also has enough power to keep them from sexual sin. Hmm. And so if you can define the sexual sin and then equip teenagers with the power of the Holy Spirit, then they can live a life that pleases God and and his commands for us. You know, um, so to me, that that would be the win. I know, man, the win would be for a lot of people, as I said, that they that they remain virgins, even in their sexual sin, they could remain a virgin. Yeah. You know, and, and not have um, not have lost their virginity before marriage. Sure. And found f- grace and favor if, you know, if they've committed other kinds of, you know, fornication or whatever. Sure. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to be different for everybody, Aaron. But finding that um, finding that grace in the middle of the truth that we've been told. To, to me, that's a huge win to me. Yeah, it's good. And so, Jeff, is that something you encourage families and maybe parents kind of going off script here? But is that a, a conversation you encourage them to have to have this discussion of what a win looks like um, within the family and for that? Yeah, for that for that child. Yeah. One of the things that we did in the book is gave uh, gave families 10 uh, topics of discussion yeah. ar- around this you know, the, the, the sexuality theme and uh, how to have that discussion, Yeah. how to have the talk, you know, yeah. um, how to have family devotions and what, what scriptures to use when you're dealing with this um, how, affection, how, how families need to bring affection into their relationships. Hmm. Uh, the, the importance of a father daughter, Hmm. Uh, affectionate relationship like that, the importance of mothers and sons, hmm. you know? So uh, I, I really believe that the, that family chapter is really, man, I, it's practical. It's very practical. Hmm. In some of our sessions, Aaron, what we do is we, I have a handout that has uh, the, the 10 practical ways on it. Maybe we could, maybe I can get that sent to you and we could put yeah. that up or, for sure. Um, use that as a resource with, that'll go along with the podcast. That'd be great. Uh, but it's very practical um, how to have those discussions. And I and I think it I think if we can if if the if parents would get the book hmm. and go through the book with them, like in, in their family devotion time. Sure. Where I'm I'm doing it right now uh in our family yeah. and going through chapter by chapter. We just did the pre- the preface in the first. Uh, just started it and it's two years down the road yeah. right so um it's fresh in my mind now because i just wrote another book and it's coming out like soon yeah and so you know to be able to go back over and hit this topic sure. but in the family setting yeah so I, I think if if families could just really take that serious they would they would find a lot of practical help around what a win would be and helping their teenagers make the right decisions that's great and so so maybe some parents, maybe we have grandparents, and I'm sure we do have grandparents that are listening into this, and they're thinking, you know what, when I grew up, we didn't have this conversation in the family. Um, I'm not real super comfortable talking about this. And um, even when it comes to questions of gender and sexuality, 
any wisdom for them on how they can maybe they want to have the conversation, but man, it's it, they've not it's not been modeled for them and say that they don't there's not been an example set. So they don't even know how to approach it. So any wisdom for grandparents and parents listening in? Yeah, I'll, one of the hard things with that question is I wrote the book two years ago and now there's so many changes, you know, and I know we hear that often. If you write on culture, you know, whether it's, you know, Tim McKnight or the Barna Research and uh, Francis Chan, some of these people love to write David McK- David Kinnon. When you write on these kind of things, it, 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 the book becomes outdated, honestly, within a year, because then the next research comes out and changes the stats that you posted. Yeah. <laughs> so... Well, I, one of the things I did do is I've blogged on the book. And so I, I do a lot of updating on my blog. Sure. Um, so that that does help. But and then being able to do podcasts like this that update, you know, the material or whatever. Right. Um, so the, the it's the changing of the language that like in the book, I think I put um, 30 plus um, gender uh, uses for mm-hmm. sexuality. And and, uh, that 30 wasn't even all of the, I think there were 55, um, I was over, it was over 50 that, um, that we had found when we researched them. And I think there's about 30 in the book. It's confusing at best. Sure. At best. So what I would tell parents is to read that chapter, uh, to, to become familiar with the, the use of the keywords, all the keywords are in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've shortened it to LG plus because, you know, they keep adding extensions to LGBTQIA one, yeah. two, three, dot, dot, dot. Right. So I just I just use the LG plus in, in, in the language and uh, stay as current as I can with the discussion. And it's really easy to mm. if you just do basic um, research, whether that's on Google or even on the socials, just look at, you know, what your teenagers are saying, what they're doing, because now, like in the book two years ago, just coming out, I remember after we had sent it to the the printer and the book was being printed, then the furries all came out with this, you know, discussion on uh, being an animal and dressing like your cat or your, your pet, you know, and then all of the, man, the, the redefinition now of gender from uh, middle sex now to animal sex. And mm. it's just uh, crazy identifying with anime. So uh, some of that, I, I do allude to bestiality in the book and some of those things, but the, the conversation changes so much. It does take, it does take uh, currency yeah. to, to stay up on it. So I would tell them to start with the book, do some, do some research, look at the language that uh, the teenagers are using you know, to, to reference in social, in the socials, um, uh, if they, if, and just ask your teenagers. Yeah, it's good. You, you know, some of the best research you can do is right in your home. Hmm. Just ask, say, could you help me? Yeah. Help me. Yeah. Uh, bring me up to date on this. What are you, what are you hearing out there? You know, uh, that, that, I think that would be helpful to parents too. That's a good word. And so you talked a little bit earlier about family and the role that family we and plays if someone's listening and said, you know what, I realized that at this age of my life, my kids are getting a lot of their information from their friends. They're just going to do what their friends do. Um, I just feel hopeless or um, 
yeah, there's just not much hope in this. Any words of encouragement for them and the role that a family, you talked about your family going through the book. Um, are there other words of encouragement that, that for parents that are listening in maybe that are just, just struggling? Yeah, the, again, that family chapter will really be helpful. Uh, if we can put that resource up for the 10, you know, um, conversation starters and those kind of things, that would be great too. I can send that to you. Yeah. The, my big encouragement is to find a time and it seems best to be like the dinner table. And I know we've lost that in culture. Uh, there are there are there are moments when when we gain that back. So how do we redeem that the dinner table? Right. That that would be just be a win right there sure. that we're having dinner together. Yeah. And what you what families could do is to use that time as intentional time for devotions and going through a book like this and having conversations. We we had a rule in our family devotions that you could talk with food in your mouth. <laughs> we don't want the kids to be quiet, right? You can right. talk with food in your mouth. It doesn't matter to us. And sure. so I, I feel like um, that would be a really good time for families. Yeah. Uh, we have a set of, we have a, a time set aside too. Some, sometimes it's, it's when we're um, having dinner. Sometimes it's just late at night before everybody goes to bed. Right. Yeah. That, uh, and it's, and, and it's pretty consistent. Yeah. We don't do it every night because we're not always together every night, but we do it. If, if we are together, we do it. Yeah. So that's really important. And there's ways that you can get intentional with that. Um, one of the things that I would do is to create a, uh, um, like a, a Q and a, or a question and answer time with your kids, okay. have them turn in, you know, questions to you and you answer them. Have you turned in questions to your kids, like questions you have about their culture or their friends or whatever. And during that Q and a time, you each answer each other's, you know, questions that are, that have been asked. Sure. That's a good, that's a creative way to get into the really hot topics too, you know, For sure. um, and see what your kids, how your kids feel about that. But when you ask a teenager a question, they'll try to answer it, even if they don't have the answer. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've found. Uh, you may not get what you're looking for, but uh, they'll, they'll turn into uh, a genius in their own mind. So those are some creative ways to do that. I will say we, um, it's so easy to not be together. You have to create these times, hmm. whether maybe a daycation, hmm. right? Just a staycation where you aren't spending a lot of money, but the family's together. You go out to eat and you talk. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk. So I think there's it, it just takes intentional um planning to do those kind of things. And it it'll work. Once you get a teenager talking, um it, you're gonna learn a lot as a parent. That's good. Good word. So you shared um uh well, I'm just thinking about so somebody's listening in and uh, maybe they have a family member that hit that is identifying, I think you're saying the LG plus community, and they're a family member, they have kids. And they don't know how to navigate this um, with their family. Any wisdom or insight for them? Um, sharing dignity, the truth, and love. But as parents, sometimes you just you don't know the, the right answers. And yeah, just any thoughts on that for us, Jeff? Yeah, for sure, Aaron. That's chapter two. That is a breakdown of how to have the, that discussion theologically. Yeah. Because, man, so many families are not even equipped Hmm. You would be surprised how um, 
how ill-equipped spiritual leaders are. Hmm. So my, my wife and I will do these some these sessions or seminars and ask the question uh, in a, in a pastor seminar, okay. youth pastors and youth leaders. Uh, how many of you can handle this this topic and give me uh, other than Genesis chapter one can give me two texts in the Bible on sexuality. Hmm. And I have seen this consistently uh, be not even 10% of the crowd. Wow. No, like, like I'm, I know it sounds crazy for me to even say that people are like, no, nah, come on, spiritual leader. I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. Um, I did this one time and we, I think we were in Oregon and the gym was full of next gen leaders that, you know, and pastors in the area. And I don't think there was 10 or 15 hands of 200 people hmm. uh, that, that put their hand up. And these are educators. These are people that work with youth. Um, so uh, I don't know what happened hmm. that this is not a topic that it has been, that is important. Yeah. So I think what, what's going to, ha- what we're going to need to do, I, I use the phrase early and often. Okay. And that means as early as you can with your kids and as often as you can, you have to have this discussion hmm. because it goes back to what we were saying on your, on your previous question about culture and scripture, right? right? If we are raising our children in the culture, now you see why there is so much untruth, hmm. so much departure from the truth because culture has won that battle. Yeah. So one of the things that we need to increase is an early and often concept okay. so that our kids can combat or counter, however you want to say it, the uh, progressive language, ideology, concepts, right, of their friends. Yeah. But if they don't have a structure, a framework, an ethic, yeah. then... They, 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 whatever they hear becomes truth. It's true. So I like to say it this way. There is this popularity versus the principle. Okay. There is the culture versus the scripture. There is the feeling versus the faith, Hmm. the emotion versus the ethic. See what Hmm. I did there? Yeah. So you have this cultural feel on the one side and then the scriptural feel on the other. When, te- when a teenager says, well, I just feel this way, what are you going to say to them? Hmm. What's well, really easy? Your, your standards aren't run by your feelings. If I did everything by my feelings, I'd be a mess. For instance, I love to give them teenagers who use that. It's just my feelings. It's how I feel. It's what's popular or whatever. Right. And what I'll say to them is this. Okay, you drive, right? You have, you have your license. You're 16 years old. You're 18 years old. Why don't you just say, I feel like driving however I want to today. I'm not going to listen to the laws. I'm not going to listen to the civil civil, um, ordinances. I'm just going to get in my car and drive 55 and a 25 past the school zone. I'm I'm going to run through stop signs today. Red means go. Hmm. Right? Because I feel that way. But what's going to happen by the end of that day is either you're going to get injured or you're going to injure somebody else or worse, kill them. And maybe at least you're going to get a ticket and be upset with the officer because you felt like, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like we really need to 
deal with this subject um, straightforward. Hmm. If as a parent, I have not done my due diligence with the scriptures, then this is what I get. This is what this is. This is the fruit of me not dealing with this topic early and often. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes 100% sense. And um, yeah, could you show those again? Feelings and faith. There was. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So starts with uh, culture in scripture. Okay. Feelings versus faith. Okay. Um, Emotions versus ethic. Yeah. And popularity versus principle. Wow, that's good. Like, you know, when someone says everybody's doing it, I I love to, to come back with, it, it, we've said this for years. No, not everybody's doing it. Yeah. Not everybody's doing it. What is popular is not w- what the scriptures say is principle. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the principle of the scripture is not popular. Yeah, it's good. Good word. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about is you talk, you shared a little bit earlier um, about winning arguments and losing friendships. And you shared about the people coming onto the elevator, the two ladies coming onto the elevator, engaged in conversation, because you're you're about developing relationships with people and not just trying to win arguments. Can you give us some practical advice on what that looks like and um, why that's so important when we talk about gender and sexuality? Yeah, but one of my favorite texts is where Jesus was seated with the sinners. You know, um, one of the one of the paraphrases and one of the versions says that Jesus was cozy with the crooks. Hmm. I, I love that. We know his his ethic to be with the sinners, right? Yeah, I uh, was not called for those who are well, but those who are sick. And you know, who are my mothers? Who, who are my brother? My, who's my mother? And who are my brothers? Right. Right. Um, it, it's, it's not who you think. Yeah. Um, so I love that concept in that text. This is this is what Luke said. He said, and Jesus was cozy with the crooks, but he preached the gospel to them. Hmm. Isn't that a remarkable statement that you could have both truth yeah. and grace? Yeah. But I feel like what happens is if you're in the truth, you know, the truth generation, it's just it's just hard. It's just this is the way it is. And the ju- the judgment and the cynicism and the criticism comes um, like really quickly. Hmm. If you're in the grace crowd, right, the relationship crowd, right, then you are, you know, every just that's OK. It's OK to be that way. Yeah. You, you know, it's you're just struggling. Yeah. You know, we don't call things sin in the grace crowd. We call it struggle. <laughs> right. Uh, we hate that word. Right. Um, so it's rather it's my problem. I, I have this thing I'm dealing with. <laughs> right. That's a year. Right. No, 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 no. It's called sin. And you mm-hmm. broke you, you broke the commandment, you know, or whatever. So there has to be this balance and this understanding of it's okay to to believe in both of the it's a symbiotic relationship right they go together sure and so what one of the things that you could do to help with that is to be really clear on on the scriptures that bring us the truth and bring us the grace paul was great at that especially with this topic paul paul wrote other than solomon paul wrote more on this topic of sexuality you know than anyone and paul Man, he was straightforward. Yeah. It was very straightforward. 
Um, but he held on to the relationship too, right? Like, you know, one of the arguments in the theology section is that Paul was gay. Okay. And and I get this. I don't I I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. But it would be okay with me if he were. And let me explain why. Okay. Um I know that's a statement that might you might get some letters now on this, but let, I think once if they're starting to write the letters, maybe hang on and let me explain. <laughs> uh, one of the big top arguments is that Paul was gay. And uh, in the LG Plus crowd, they will use that. David and Jonathan, right? They'll use yeah. some of these things. Sure. Um, let's give them the argument just for a moment. Let's say Paul was. Okay. Well, what we do know for sure is that if he were, that once his name, you know, that, that Saul could have been, but once right. his name was changed to Paul, he was not gay. Yeah. We, we know that for sure because of, of the strength of his argument and his statement against porneia, hmm. the, the, the Greek word sure. for uh, all of sex outside of marriage between man and a woman. Okay. Okay. So, so people that are listening to me know what I just said. If they know the, anything about this argument, yeah. I didn't, if homosexuality was not in the Bible, yeah. But the, the, the word homosexuality is not in the Bible because we created that word. But sure. the word porneia was, and it meant any kind of sex outside of marriage between man and a woman. Homosexual incest, incest, um, bestiality, fornication, etc. Adultery, that is an overarching umbrella word. And Paul used it multiple times. Jesus used the word. Hmm. So uh, when we say things like Paul was gay... Well, I would give them the argument that maybe Saul was, if, if, if I, I don't see the scriptures there, but let's say he was. And now, once he was born again, right? I don't care if you're born that way or made that way. Once you are born again, and his, and his name was changed to Paul, read the scriptures. Paul was vehement against it, against hmm. homosexuality hmm. Uh, and same sex. Um, so what we found then, if you're telling me that Saul was and Paul was not, that you can be changed. Hmm. And it goes against their, that argument, right? That yeah. you can't be changed and there's no, uh, there's no opportunity. There's no way. Well, if you're going to stand on the argument that David was yeah, right with Jonathan, well, we know that later on in his life, he wasn't because unless he was bi. So you're telling me he was bisexual, right? <laughs> right. So when you look at all of the, the argument, not just part of the argument sure. to defend your truth, um, there's there's really relationship, truth and grace run hand in hand. You, mm. you can't you can't have one and not the other. Good word, good word, Jeff. Any any question I should have asked you or your thing before I'm going to ask you to pray? Is there anything I should have asked you or a question you thought would have been great to ask? Uh, I think those resources are are really good. I'm glad you brought that up earlier. So, you know, someone might be asking, where do I find these scriptures? Because yeah. we did, this is a whole, I could take another podcast and walk you through from Genesis to Revelation. And maybe we need to do a follow-up on yeah. this, but For sure. um, if they can get the book and read chapter two, I mean, the scriptures are all the way through the, through the book, but uh, chapter two is the specific one. That's the one we, that's, that would be the follow-up probably that most parents are asking right now, or even teenagers, man, what, I wish they would go over those scriptures Sure. Um, to get the book. You yep. get it on Amazon, it'll be there quick, yep. and you and you read chapter two. If not, maybe we can do a follow-up on this, and we can just do the theology of this topic, because it. 
I, I got into it a little bit, but man, it's so exhaustive. I don't want to just hit it and leave it Makes because sense. there are arguments that people throw up against something I might say. And, you know, everybody says this. Um, I've read the progressive books. Okay. Okay. Before I wrote this, I read, I had six books on my, I have a picture of it on my desk writing this, this book. And six of those, all six of them were not written by Christians. Hmm. Very progressive. And so I was doing the research. And then what I did, what I did is I took chapter two, the theology chapter, and I, I sent it to one of the leading Greek New Testament scholars in America. Okay. Anybody that has followed this topic would know the name Dr. Uh, Amy Anderson. Okay. And so she took this, read that that te- that text, that that manuscript, and she said, "Jeff, I wouldn't change much at all. This mm. this is fantastic. You you dealt with it from the progressive and the conservative angle, and your approach to these uh, the, the derivatives, the breakdown of the words. I wouldn't have changed it. Wouldn't mm. have changed it. So uh, you know, I know it can it can be seen when you read chapter two to as judgmental, but there's a lot of the grace in there, the grace uh, verses in there too." So th- that sometimes doesn't come up where we didn't spend enough, enough time on the on the uh, verses and the text. But, yeah. man, I think I think we need to do a, a, pod, uh, a, a number two. <laughs> love to, we'd love to do it. We'll get it scheduled. Jeff, will you pray for us today? Um, that God will I use this to encourage parents, TCKs, anyone that's listening in. Yes, God, thank you. Open our eyes. Open our eyes to this incredible topic of gender, marriage, and sex. To design open our eyes to design that you created male and female. You didn't create a neutral gender and anything after that, anything after Genesis one, two, three, and five, Lord help open our eyes because anything after that is culture and not scripture. And I pray God that as you define marriage between man and a woman, that you would bring deep conviction to, to someone living in culture that believes otherwise. And I pray, God, for anyone who's living in sex outside of marriage between man and a woman, that you bring grace, and then you bring a ceiling, an offense, uh, a lid to that, and that they would discipline their life in this area and please you. Much, much of the guilt, much of the guilt in this topic and the shame comes from not being able to live in the freedom that we can find in Christ. So I pray that you would uh, correct us where we need correction. Lord, I pray that you will um, bring um, guidelines, scripture, uh, protection, principle right now. And if anyone feels cut off from this and angry at the church, I pray that they would see our love. They would see our compassion for, for everyone, Lord, the glutton, the gay, and the gossip, Lord. As we all stand, all of us stand on level ground at the cross. Thank you for this discussion, Lord. Add your blessing to the words that we've said and your grace to the words that we have said, we pray. Amen. Amen.